Hello everyone, Alan Mister here from Vitality Explorers with another Vitality Explorer news podcast. Please sign up at vitalityexplorers.com for free scientific information about how to enhance your physical, mental, social, and spiritual well-being. So as always, we're going to start off with a quote, and here it is. Quote, the most reliable way to predict the future is to create it. That's from Abraham Lincoln. The most reliable way to predict the future is to create it. So this week we're going to review uh, the data about why cannabis increases the risk of depression with long-term use. We're going to read about why fecal, that is stool transplants, may someday um, help reverse aging. And then we're going to finish with uh, a new idea I've been working on, how to avoid future pain. So let's just jump right into Cannabis use increases the risk of depression with long-term risk. So uh, I want to acknowledge cannabis and its use is complicated. And here's an here's a important disclaimer. This post reviews peer-reviewed published data about the use of cannabis in the context of pain, anxiety, and depression. The information is not medical advice for or against the use of cannabis. And please use, uh, consult with your personal physician prior to use of any substance. Okay, so let's jump into cannabis and why it is complicated. So cannabis has been approved in many states for a variety of uh, medical conditions, including cancer, HIV, AIDS, Parkinson's, and glaucoma. Many of these, quote, indications, however, have yet to be proven effective in, a, in large randomized trials. There is, however, a growing body of evidence that cannabis can be used for chronic pain. Now, this is important because of the opioid crisis. So use of cannabis instead of opioids like, you know, morphine or uh, Percocet or other types of narcotics uh, for pain control may reduce the risk of overdose, according to uh, some researchers. Cannabis in the context of anxiety and depression, however, is the most challenging thing to discuss. And this is going to be the focus of the rest of this part of, uh, of the discussion. And here's why. Short term, cannabis use uh, problems or issues um, or effects can include things like disorientation, getting high, euphoria, sleepiness, and published reports also suggest it may reduce the symptoms of anxiety and depression. And again, you can always check out the uh, Vitality Explorers and Vitality Explorer News on Substack for the references and the graphics about how this goes. But basically, a couple of graphs are up there that show that there are less anxiety and stress after short-term cannabis, cannabis abuse in both women and men. Long-term, the effects of cannabis are less well-documented, but include an increased risk of stroke, heart attack, Impaired cognitive function, and here's 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 the difficult thing: even psychosis. Um, and so, what they found in this study that was, uh, or several studies that are part of the post on the Substack site, is that short-term uh, use of cannabis can alleviate some of the symptoms of depression, but long-term it exacerbates the risk and severity, including a higher risk of suicide. So, a meta-analysis, which in the on the post is something that included 11 studies. That's an analysis of a variety of papers that found cannabis users were more likely to develop depression, experience suicidal ideation, and even attempt suicide. So these, you know, odds were something called an odds ratio, um, was, was found to, to really be impressive, including uh, odds ratio of 1.37 in, um, depression, 
1.5 for suicidal ideation and 3.46, which is a massive increased odds ratio for attempted suicide in cannabis users. And these, are, these were adolescents and young adults. So here's the overall conclusions of this particular study. Is this meta-analysis shows cannabis consumption in adolescents is associated with increased risk of developing major depression in young adulthood, suicidality, and, and ideation. The results of the multi-level analysis examining change in baseline symptoms across track sessions, uh, that baseline symptoms of depression significantly increased across time and session. One of the lead officers was quoted in an article saying, quote, there is a real risk there. Another study concluded cannabis reduces perceived symptoms of negative affect in the short term, but continued use of of cannabis exacerbates baseline symptoms over time with regard to depression. Um, and one of the studies went into maybe perhaps some of the mechanisms behind which cannabis may have increased the risk of depression. They say, quote, cannabis, chronic cannabis use decreases CB1 receptor availability in the cortical areas implicated in mood disorders, and a growing body of preclinical evidence indicates that genetic or pharmacologic CB1 receptor blockade <clears throat> produces a phenotype that is strikingly reminiscent of the profile of major depression. So collectively, these results suggest that chronic use of cannabis, this is a quote, collectively, these results suggest that chronic use of cannabis to cope with symptoms of depression may increase susceptibility for depression by altering the endocannabinoid system. So big words, but basically it can, it can, chronic use can affect the receptors in your brain that may be linked to sort of a symptom profile of major depression. So here are the two reasons why cannabis is complicated. Uh, my thoughts. Short term, it seems to reduce the risk of depression while increasing the risk of depression and suicide long term. Um, and cannabis may also be better than opioids for pain control in some cases. So this is this post that is part of this podcast and part on, on the Substack site is meant to draw attention to the peer-reviewed published data about cannabis use. And my hope it, it will uh, increase the the, uh, the deeper conversations uh, based on data, not just opinions. So again, you can leave a comment on the Substack site or you can subscribe to Vitality Explorers at vitalityexplorers.com for further information about that. We're going to pivot in a massive way to a a very interesting and potentially transformative study about how fecal, that is stool, excuse me, transplants may reverse aging. So a few years ago, uh, young to old blood transfusions were trending in a way to fight off aging. So this was a, a rage across a variety of different populations. Even a company popped up near Silicon Valley offering young um, blood transfusions for about $7,000. And this was based on basic science data in mice showing that young to old blood transfusions reversed the effects of aging. Um, and there was even a really funny episode on the TV show Silicon Valley about the topic. You can check out the uh, clip that I posted on the Substack site to the, what they called the Blood Boy episode, where a billionaire has a young young guy who he gets blood transfusions from. So recently, researchers tried a different approach. They're interested in, in how our microbiome affects our aging. And our microbiome, microbiome is a collection of bacteria, viruses, and fung, fungi that live within our bodies. So they, they conducted this somewhat disgusting study where they transplanted feces, that is, human stool, 
or excuse me, stool, not hemostool. stool. In this case, it was mice stool. But transplanted feces from young mice to old mice and then vice versa. The disgusting part of this is they actually fed the, the mice stool pellets by mouth. So pretty disgusting or yucky. For the record, I do not recommend any form of young to old blood tr- blood or stool transfusions, but feel obligated to review this pretty interesting paper. So here's the here's sort of the, the methodology they gave. Mice of three ages, young was considered three, old was considered 18 months, and aged, 24 months, powerful antibiotics to knock out all the bacteria. Then they exchanged the stool of the animals, and you can see the graphics of it and the, the, more of the data up on the Substack Vitality Explorer site. The animals were then uh, studied about two weeks after the stool transplantation, and the results were fascinating. The paper's really long and complex, but I'll try to summarize the major findings. Here we go. So transplanting stool um, from the young to old um, decreased the systemic inflammatory markers, which is a major component of aging. Uh, And and then they also found that the young mice had less uh, inflammation in their brain and their eyes. So your brain and your eyes are part of the things that start to have more inflammation uh, as you get older. And reducing inflammation in your brain or, or your eyes, specifically your retinas, was found to be less in those older animals that had transplanted stool from the younger animals. So, quote, and this is a quote from the paper, chronic inflammation and microglia overactivation in the brain contributed to neurodegenerative pathology, which can lead to cognitive decline, and our data support a causal role for gut microbiota, that's the bugs in your gut, uh, in regulating inflammation in the eye, uh, which is quite fascinating. The final thing they found is that young to old transplantation of stool, reduced age-related breakdown of the epithelial layers and intestinal gut lumen. So it changed, it literally changed how your 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 colon or your, or, or your intestines work. So what they found again here is that our, quote, our results demonstrate that age-associated changes in the murine, that's mice, intestinal microbiota contribute to disrupting gut bacteria integrity and systemic and tissue inflammation affecting the retina that's in the back of your eye and the brain. But these changes can be reversed for replacing them with young donor microbiota or the stool transplantation. So it's very interesting. This paper, again, was moderately disgusting but because it's stool transplantation and, and, and ingest, ingesting or eating stool pellets. But is it possible that you could potentially reverse some of the effects of aging by doing this. Uh, the data embedded in this paper, I think, suggests that it might be. And it's also a, a, re, a really important uh, discussion of why our microbiome or the bacteria, uh, viruses, and fungi that live within us are very much part of how we age. So we are a long way from stool transplant, transplantation being commonplace. Um, but I think it's important to have this discussion about it. And I would love to hear your comments either here or on the Substack site. All right, so we can read the abstract and more about it later. We're going to finish with something that I'm exploring and trying to figure out if it's a meaningful topic, and that is your future pain and how to avoid future pain. And we know that pain kills our vitality. And if we're in pain, we'll spend a lot of time and money seeking to reduce or eliminate it. But why should we wait till we're in pain? This is, you know... Why can't we start today to try to reduce or or eliminate our future pain? 
And, and it's pretty clear pain isn't just all physical. All of us can suffer from mental, social, and spiritual pain. But let's explore how we can reduce our future pain. So, you know, that'll be in sort of three or four categories here, physical, mental, social, and spiritual. But physical pain often arises from like an acute injury, like you fall and you break your wrist or a chronic condition. And we don't always have complete control over the things that cause us physical pain, such as an accident or even cancer. We are in charge, however, how much we exercise and our eating habits. So failing to exercise or eating too much can lead to pain and suffering, which can lead to cardiovascular disease or obesity. So the suggestion to avoid future pain with regard to your physical pain is to exercise more today and eat less today to avoid future pain. So mental pain, however, is much more complex, okay? And one huge component of our mental wellness is how well we sleep. Sleeping well doesn't just happen unless you're a baby or a dog, I think. It takes effort to make it a priority and then work towards ways to optimizing it. So doing some work to improve your sleeping patterns could help your future, reduce your future mental pain. So here's the suggestion in that, in that realm is to consider sleep a superpower and go to bed about a thousand seconds earlier, which is 17 minutes today. So that's one specific suggestion about how to avoid future mental pain is to consider sleep a superpower. Social pain arises, the third component we're going to talk about here, when we lack meaningful connections. Now, early in life, we have many opportunities to make tight social connections in school, and these opportunities are strengthened because we spend hundreds of hours with our friends in high school or in college or beyond in the early part of our life. Later, we have less time to develop these closeness with others. We may have our families. We may have moved away, uh, and it's much more difficult to to cultivate closeness. But considering making social connections or thinking of them as like a skill, I think is important to reduce your future social pain. And the suggestion is to prioritize closeness. That's the third suggestion. Prioritize closeness. Reach out to an old friend, reestablish a connection, or seek to make a new one in the next week. And the final one we'll talk about is spiritual pain. And I think spiritual pain arises when we lack meaning in our lives. Seeking to fulfill our peak purpose, however, enhances our spiritual wellness and reduces the risk of future regret. All right, I'm going to say that again. Seeking to fulfill our peak purpose enhances our spiritual wellness and reduces the risk of future regret or future spiritual pain. Um, so identifying that peak purpose, however, is a ridiculously difficult task. I teach, teach this in my Stanford Vitality class, and it can take a lifetime. Our purpose can also change as our circumstances change, and we should never let somebody else define our purpose. So here's the spiritual suggestion. Spend a 1,000 seconds, part of what I call a 1,000-second challenge, or 17 minutes today, thinking about or writing about your purpose for being on the planet. So those are the four suggestions. Number you know, for, for physical, it was to exercise more and eat less. For mental, it was to consider sleep a superpower. For social, it's to prioritize closeness. And for your spiritual, to reduce future pain in the spiritual realm is to spend a thousand seconds or 17 minutes just working on your purpose. So this idea of reducing future pain is, is a brand new one. I'm exploring it as a way to enhance my present and future vitality, but I'd love your comments about this or anything else. And thank you for listening to the Vitality Explorer newscast. You can, again, subscribe on vitalityexplorers.com. If you like what you're listening to, please leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. And until next time, dare 
to be vital.